All right, here we are with this topical life, and today we have Mr. Bombach from Willamette <laughs> Primary, and um, we can say Kevin here, right? Yeah, Kevin Bombach, fine. That's my celebrity name. in the house. <laughs> um, this is Ruthie's teacher, and um, as a continuation of what I had said last week, we are um, it's teacher appreciation, and we're kind of taking it as teacher appreciation month, and so. Like I said before, we had the candidates last week. This week, Kevin's here with us. And then um, we're going to have some other ones the rest of this month, too. Different cool things. So, anyway, um, Ruthie's teacher, Mr. Kevin Bombach, works at Willamette Primary. Um, let's talk about your personal life. Okay. And, um, and uh, Mr. Bombach and I have seen each other, you know, here and there in the class. Um, I volunteer here and there, whatever. But... Um, I will just go ahead and say that Ruthie is 1,000%, along with many other people in the school, are totally inspired by this teacher and um, has some really cool things to say. And I'm just looking forward to hearing more about what he's about and the things that got him here. So um, tell us, um, let's talk about like your current state now, your, your, you know, your life right now, like your marriage, you know, that stuff. And then we'll talk about how you, where you grew up and how you became a teacher and all that stuff. So, okay. Uh, I am, uh, married to my wife, Emily, and we have two daughters, a nine-year-old named Ellie and a six-year-old named Lucy. And Lucy, by the way, and Tobin are in the same class, That's right. which is really cool. Yep. Uh, awesome little kindergarten class. Mm -hmm. uh, shout out to Grace Aguilar. Yep, Grace. Woo! Um, and uh, yeah, so I teach fourth grade over at Willamette. Uh, it's my fifth year there. It's my 14th year teaching, and uh, I really love it. We moved out to Westland, was this two, three years ago uh, from Portland? And uh, didn't think I would be out here, but. Here you are. I didn't think I'd be a suburban dad, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, I am now. Uh, I always thought I'd be in Portland, but uh, but or the food is better. The food is better in Portland. <laughs> yeah, I miss the food in Portland a lot because it's all fifteen minutes away. But you know, I yeah. know. Yeah, I became a food snob uh, living yeah. in Portland, but um, but that's helped me cook quite a bit. I cook a lot oh, now, really? so yeah, I cook. I cook a lot, uh, but th the reason that we really moved out here was mm -hmm. because of Willamette, because yeah. it's a pretty amazing school, and and also to have the opportunity to have both my daughters in school with me. Yeah. Um, that was kind of the the biggest selling point. That was kind of the clincher, because we were debating whether or not we wanted to move out here. <clears throat> I was debating whether or not I wanted to stay at Willamette, uh, mm -hmm. not because of the school, but just because of the commute. Oh, uh, right. Because um, I was commuting from uh, North Portland for two years, and that was very stressful. And, you know, sitting in an, in the car uh, in gridlock for an mm -hmm. hour at the end of every day is uh, not the most enjoyable experience. I got to listen to a lot of podcasts, which is great. But, oh, yeah. you know, there's just nothing fun about sitting in traffic. So uh, it was either... Go back to Portland or find a job in Portland um, and stay there or move out to Westland. So we moved out here, which was not an easy decision for me. But um, but now that I'm out here, I, I like it. Right. Know? Yeah. It's a pretty beautiful place. It's a it's a unique. I mean, and just to say Willamette in itself in Westland is a kind of a unique thing, too, uh, that 
it's my little education utopia, I like yeah. to call it. You know, <laughs> it like, is. It's his own little <laughs> village of West Lynn, really. Yeah, it is. Yeah. You know, I, um, I, you know, a, a good friend of mine, when I got hired, he was one of my references, and he knew the district very well. And when I got hired, he said, that's the best district in the state, and that's the best school in the district. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay, and then I got out here, and it was like, legit. Yeah, it was. You know, I thought I was a good teacher when I got out here. Right. Yeah. And then, because I had been teaching for nine years, and then, um, and then I saw the teachers out there, and I was like, oh, okay, like this is what really good teaching looks like. Right. And it really pushed me to, to get better, because I'm very competitive. You know, okay. I grew up in an athletic household, and we played a lot of sports, and. My brother and I are very competitive, and so I think that spirit pushed me to kind of improve my teaching, just because I felt like I wanted I wanted to keep up, and I felt like I needed to keep up. Well, um, you were inspired. I was inspired, and you know, it was a little bit of you know, I, I wanted to be proud of myself, you know, of the work that I was doing. So I put in a lot of work, and that was the other thing that was really difficult about those first two years was. I couldn't put in the work that I wanted to put in to be the teacher that I wanted to be mm. because <clears throat> I had to leave at 3.30 every single day in order to get home and relieve childcare. Like, oh. my wife was working, and so I was like, if I don't leave right now, I'm going to be stuck in traffic for an extra half an hour. You know, the whoever, whether it was my mother-in-law, <clears throat> excuse me, my mom, whoever was watching the, the girls that year was like, I had to go relieve them because right. if it wasn't my mom or my mother-in-law, it was somebody else that we were paying, and it was like, yeah, you're I'm on thinking the dollar. money. Yeah, you're so on it was the like, dollar. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so I didn't, I wasn't able to put in the work that I wanted to put in, and so it was a really stressful two years, and so we just had to make that decision, and um, yeah, so we made the decision, and uh, and I'm happy that we did because it's been really fun to have to be able to see my girls in the hallway yes. at school, you know? Oh, my gosh. Um, <clears throat> this what is the first year with both of them, uh, mm -hmm. with Lucy being in kindergarten. But, you know, it's just great to just walk down the hallway and, you know, you walk by – I walk by Ellie's classroom and I always peek in and see what she's doing. You know, sometimes she sees me. A lot of times she doesn't. And right. I just get to see her at work. and I, I can't think of a better situation in that regard. I mean – Yeah. But, like, with Brian working from home, he – he kind of feels the same way in a lot of ways because I mean, he literally just walks up the stairs and boom, we're here, you know? Um, it just, it feels like we see each other a lot more than we actually probably really do, mm -hmm. you know, just in that kind of environment. But, um, it's funny that you mentioned, um, getting to your childcare before you, that feeling of like, on the clock, on the clock, on the clock. Yeah. Well, I had this gap of time where I was working. It was like a couple of years ago, and um, we had childcare. And I was, so if you were late like a minute, you had to pay 25 bucks, okay? And so I was like running on the sidewalk with like these wedges and completely bit it and broke broke my foot <laughs> for $25. I was just like, oh my gosh, that was like the most miserable situation ever so but like I can totally relate to the um being rushed so to have that every single day where you're like I could see when, why it's hard to I could see the yeah yeah even even when we weren't paying it was just kind of like a common courtesy right of, you yeah know, like 
You want you want to get home. Get our home, moms get home. have been doing this all day, and yeah. and they want to get home too. And right. and you know I'm trying to take them their you know lives into consideration. Um, you know how exhausted they probably are. They're doing us a favor. Yeah. And you know I want to let them go home. Um, especially my mother-in-law who lives in, you know, she drives in an hour away. She lives up by Mount Hood. And so it's like, oh my goodness. So she's got a long drive home. So I would always try and take those in those situations into consideration. And my wife, um, stopped working actually like the last, I don't know, the last three months of, um, last three months of when we were, um, when we, when the last school year there and uh, what I did was I was able to stay you know she stayed at home and so I was like oh I can stay till 4 4 30 and it completely like my life was different okay you know I was like oh I I don't have to rush in here you know because then I would wake up early what would happen is I would I would leave early I wouldn't get things prepared for the next day like I needed to so then I'd have to wake up early the next day get in so that I could be prepared for when the kids come in and it was like that was stressful that added stress because I'm like not getting as much sleep as I needed to get um so when my wife stopped working for those last couple months um I was able to have a little bit of extra time and it was just a completely different feel it allowed me to leave work not stressed out and just be feeling more prepared um And then when we moved out here, the first year that we moved out here, I was five minutes from school. And it was like a different life. You know, I was doing the math. I was like, (laughs) it would take me a half an hour to get to work in the morning and an hour at the end of the day. So, you know, I'm an hour and a half in the car at school. Going from that to 10 minutes a day in the car. Or if it was a nice day, I mean, we were living up on the hill, you know, in West Lynn, which is like, I couldn't... I used to ride my bike as much as possible. So I didn't want to ride my, when I was living in Portland, I would ride my bike to work as much as possible. But out here, it's a lot harder to ride your bike. If, you know, if there is a bike lane, it'll disappear. I'm not like, I love to ride my bike, but I like a nice safe bike lane. Yeah. And and then if it's not, if there are, uh, you know, other than that, it's like these super steep hills. Oh my goodness. And so it's like, you know, yeah, I don't want to, Going down might be kind of fun. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Going up at go the end the of the whole a, town. Yeah, whole like town at the end of the school day, I'm not trying to like, you know, climb up Tandler Road at the end of the day. Like, right. Uh, so, but I would walk, uh, which was kind of nice, and yeah. it was just kind of pleasant. You know, it just yeah. it was a totally different life when the commute shrunk down from an hour and a half to ten minutes. You know, I was thinking to myself, I'm saving an hour and fifteen, hour and twenty minutes every single day of my life I get back. Yeah. And um, so, you know, over the course of a week, you know, you're getting six hours of your week back. Um, and so that that made the, the move out here worth it more than anything, uh, just to have a little bit more time. Uh, it relieved a lot of stress for sure. Yeah. And then, so. I mean, and then I just, <clears throat> I always kind of think that like, when you're given time that you didn't have before, your time management becomes even better because you're like, mm-hmm. oh, well, now I actually do have this time. Oh, yeah, chores Where, are getting done. Yeah, like, you know, like whereas, oh, like, I... if you had always had that time, you probably would have misused it, too. 
Yeah. Right? I mean, that's how I just see my life. It's like, oh, suddenly Tobin's in kindergarten. Like, all the things that I couldn't do, I'm, like, motivated to do because it's like I never had that time. Yeah, it was a game changer. Yeah, 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 totally. So did Emily get – because she didn't have a job when you, like, first moved to – when at the tail end of living in Portland, and then how did she get the job at the high? She works at the high school, right? So she was uh, she was working at Portland Public Schools um, in their HR department, and um, when we were in Portland towards the end, and it was causing her a lot of stress, and mm-hmm. and um, you know it just wasn't the best work environment for her, and uh, and we were getting we were talking about selling our house. And the woman that was taking care of our daughters a couple days a week was very pregnant. And so we were like, she couldn't go to the end of the year anyway. And so I was like, you're stressed out at work all the time. You know, um, you know, we need to sell the house. You know, I think we can, we can get by through the summer. Why don't you just stop working? You can focus on, you know, getting the house ready to put on the market and, uh, and take care of the girls, be at home with the girls, not have this stressful job in your life anymore. And so um, she she did that. And then she, once we sold our house, <clears throat> she stayed at home for, we were able to stay at home for a little while, uh, or she was. And um, and so she, she really just kind of was looking for some good part-time work out here. And she just had an opportunity at the at the high school and was able to get a job over at the high school and she really loves it it's a perfect schedule for her you know we didn't need her to work full time and so she's working part time and her schedule allows her to drop the girls off in the morning uh, go grab a coffee go to go to work yeah get off you know run an errand if she needs to pick up the girls at the end of the day um so it's been a great great job for her but um but yeah, she's got bigger things on the horizon now. Yeah. So that's gonna be a that's gonna be interesting to see how that works too. She just got into graduate school. Uh, she wants to be a, you know, she was always looking for something more. Um, yeah. She's the testing coordinator and a secretary over at the high school, which she loves. Like it's just a great environment. But I think what that taught her is like she really liked being in a school. Yeah. And you know we've talked about that like how. There's just an energy in a school that's mm-hmm. just, uh, especially in a good school like Willamette or Westland, that um, it's just kind of palpable when you walk in. Yeah. Um, and uh, and she just loved being in that environment. And so I think that really reinforced her idea. She had a lot of different ideas about what she wanted to do. She wasn't quite sure, but she, she wants to be a high school counselor. And so she's going back to school for that here pretty soon. Um, so we'll see how that changes. Yeah. Like, that's going to be, a, well, that's life, right? Changes, right. changes, changes. Yeah. So but at least you're in the spot where you are now to mm-hmm. endure that change. Yeah. So, um, back to like, so now before, like, um, I remember one time at one of the conferences, um, I asked you like what made you want to be a teacher and stuff. So like, where did you grow up? Um, how many siblings? And then I know, Leading up to, I think your special year was, was it fourth grade where you kind of was like, I want to be a teacher kind of thing? Yeah. I mean, I, I grew up in, uh, North, Northeast Portland, um, and, uh, had deep roots there. My parents grew up in North Portland and, uh, loved it over there. Um, 
I have, I'm the youngest of three. Um, oh, you're the baby. <clears throat> yeah, I'm the baby. Oh. Uh, my sister's uh, three years older than I am, uh, almost to the day. And uh, my brother's like two weeks from being smack in the middle of us. Uh, oh, okay. So it's, uh, so yeah. So girl, we're, boy, we're, boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're about, we're all 18 months wow. apart there. And, um, and uh, yeah, we had a really really good upbringing in Portland. Uh, my mom's side of the family is all in education. My aunts and uncles are teachers. Uh, my mom was uh, not a teacher, but she was a lunch lady. She worked in the schools. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she stayed home with me. And, you know, I always thought of her. She's very, she easily could have been a teacher. Yeah. Um, you know, she taught me everything right so, <laughs> all moms you know, are teachers yeah really. she taught me how to read you know <laughs> i remember reading with her which was you know i remember going to school and they had us do like a literacy autobiography where we had to kind of look back and reflect on how did we learn how to read which was really interesting i had to realize like oh yeah mom taught me how to read and really helped me kind of take into consideration the steps that she took to help me yeah learn how to read uh, so she was a great teacher, but yeah, she worked in schools and loved being a lunch lady. Yeah. I would go, I would have days off every once in a while and I would go into work with her and she just like, just loved being in a school. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so I had education on that side of the family. Um, and, uh, and I guess <clears throat> I went to, excuse me. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I went to uh, some Catholic schools in Portland, uh, about a block from our house. I loved it. Uh, yeah, I went to Holy Redeemer in Portland. Holy Redeemer. Yeah, and uh, is it still there? Oh yeah, it's oh, been wow. there okay. for over a hundred years. That's where oh, my my, my grandma went there. My dad no went there. No way. I went there. Jeez. Uh, Ellie actually went there for uh, preschool, and, and I taught there for a year. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, I went. I I taught there for a year, which was really really fun, really interesting. Um, and, uh, yeah, I kind of, I don't know. I don't remember there being like a certain point where I was like, I want to teach. I just always knew that I really liked kids, okay. um, early on. And then, um, just had a really good positive school experience. And fourth grade was probably my favorite teacher. I had a really young teacher, like fresh out of college, Miss Capaletti. Capaletti. Yeah, from we uh, don't forget, do we? From, no, from no. Walpole, Massachusetts. <laughs> like, I, yeah, I remember. Uh, she was she was great, and um, and and I had a good time in school, and so I knew, I knew really early on, like it was either I was gonna play for the Blazers or I was gonna teach. So okay, yeah. I had to go with Plan B. The Blazer thing didn't work out, so yeah. uh, you never know, though. I mean, well, I'm, I think I'm a little past my prime now. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I do know. Um, you've 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 accepted yeah yeah okay. um so uh so yeah i knew i knew that and uh from there i had a good um uh, high school counselor that said well if you're going into education you know i knew in high school she said if you're going to education and you want to stay in the state consider western oregon and i was like okay she's like the teachers and cops go to western oregon so I said, all right, I'll do it, and I went, and I never visited. I just went. Oh, yeah, that's my style, too. That, yeah, you show I just, up. Yeah, flying by. Yeah. Shit. Orientation was my first <laughs> first time on campus. Yeah, um, that's awesome. And so, uh, which was a little bit of a culture shock for me, you know, going living in mm -hmm. Portland my whole life and then going to a small town, Monmouth, Oregon, and, right. and you know, 
getting used to that and living with a bunch of meeting and living with you know other small town folks uh from around the state ended up being a really positive experience but yeah i got my teaching degree there um i was one of the few people that got a teaching degree as uh as an undergrad and so i started teaching um right out of uh right after i got my bachelor's um most people get their masters but um so i subbed for about a half year because i i took a little time to get out of college um i took some time off because i was kind of burnt out you know it's funny i didn't like i never really loved school all that much i hated homework yeah okay i hated doing the work i loved being at school i loved the social aspect of it i was always really curious and would get into projects um and i always had fun in school but i didn't i didn't like doing the work uh and so i took some time off when i was in college yeah um you know my dad was like as long as you're gonna go back and i was like no i'm going back like i have to if i want to teach like i know i I know i want to teach but i just need some time off so because of that it took me a little bit longer to graduate and i got done in the middle of the year so i spent the rest of the year subbing okay out and mostly out in gresham and that was that was a great experience i loved it like i thought subbing was a super fun job i was like 22 and um you know i was living on my own and um you know i was making money because student teaching was fun but i i was just like i want to i'm paying to volunteer right now like i want to start getting paid for this stuff i felt like i was ready and then once i actually got my classroom i was like oh i'm not even close to being ready yet right but I think uh, I think it was a good experience. It, it's really helped me uh, when I when I have to call in for a sub. Now I know yeah. like what a you know what's helpful for a sub to have. So I had a and it helped me to kind of see some different schools and uh, and some things. So I, I subbed for about a half a year, and there weren't a lot of jobs uh, teaching jobs at that time, um, and so I was just planning on subbing again for. Um, for the next year because I enjoyed it and you know it was like I would have days where it's like oh, I got a lot of laundry to do I'm just not going to go into work today <laughs> yeah. you know and I'm pretty good or you could pay someone to do your laundry <laughs> or yeah no. yeah so it was like you know <laughs> I just love the flexibility of it um and uh I think I was young enough I don't remember if I was still I wasn't worried about insurance because I think I was still on my parents insurance because I was young enough yeah. at that time so I wasn't worried about getting benefits or anything. I don't think at that time. Um, and so I just, I, I was just glad to be making any money Mm -hmm. at that time. And I don't spend a lot of money. So I was like, perfect. So it was great. It was a great job, but I was at a wedding, um, that summer and I ran into my old eighth grade teacher and, um, and she was like, Kevin, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I just graduated. You know, I hadn't seen her for several years. And um, and I said, yeah, I, you know, I'm probably just going to sub again. And a couple, like a month or two later, um, it was right before the school year was about to start. Um, I was on a road trip. I drove down to San Diego on my own to visit a friend down there. And I was on the freeway in Los Angeles, <clears throat> and I got a phone call from my mom, and she was like, "Miss Gritzmacher called," and Gritzmacher. She, yeah, she 
they, uh, she's trying to get a hold of you. I'll play the message. And she played the message on her answering machine. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah. existed, yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so she was like, give me a call. Like, we've got a, a position open. So, um, and so, yeah, I called back and they said, you know, when you get back into town, we want to interview you. We've got this long-term supposition. And so they, had, <clears throat> they were at a school called All Saints in Portland, Northeast Portland. And I went back up there and interviewed and ended up getting this long-term subposition up there. Wow. And, um, and I had told myself, like, I didn't really want to teach in Catholic schools uh, anymore because after I grew up Catholic and I didn't – and then I, once I got out of the house at 18, I was like, I'm not going to – I wasn't going to church anymore. And, and uh, so – and I didn't really feel comfortable – teaching in a Catholic school and I wasn't really interested and the money wasn't uh, there as good in the Catholic schools as in the public schools and so um, but but there were no teaching positions available so I was like well maybe you know this is stability so I took it and I ended up you know it was they weren't sure how long it was going to be this woman had gotten injured and um, they weren't sure like when she was going to recover and come back they were like it could be Two weeks could be the whole year and she came back but they wanted to keep me on oh so they were like we extended your contract until you know at the end of october and then the end of october rolled around there well, we extended your contract until thanksgiving I was like, okay and then thanksgiving rolled around and they said we're gonna ex- extend you to the end of the year we just want to keep you in-house as a sub i was like oh, okay like great stability there and i really liked all saints was amazing like i loved that school it's great people it reminds me a lot of willamette actually like the staff that we had there and the families were just awesome and i was in portland uh which i loved i loved being in northeast portland and um and then the next year they offered me they had a fifth grade teaching position open and they were like do you want this teaching position so i took it and i ended up being there for eight years and i loved it yeah so after you know saying like i don't want to be in (laughs) this environment i ended up being there and and it was actually a really positive uh experience for me um and there ended up being some some reasons that i left there was kind of i had some disagreements with how the administration was having us do things and so i kind of wanted to leave and i'd been there for eight years and uh wanted to go make a little bit more money um but I ended up, I just really just wanted to change the scenery. Mm-hmm. So I ended up taking a job at Holy Redeemer where I went to school. Because mm-hmm. that was kind of the first position that popped up. And I thought, well, this would be kind of cool. Was it kind of like almost like a <clears throat> shoe in in a way? Because it's like well, your you, grandpa, your this, your that. Well, and I had kind of, you know, I had had a lot of success at, um, at All Saints and kind of built up a decent reputation. And, yeah. and in Portland, like the Catholic bubble in Portland is very small so they knew about me over at Holy Redeemer and so by the time I got over there like you know um they they knew me and and they were they were super excited yeah they were ready to have me and so um yeah they offered me the job pretty quickly and 
and I was pretty excited about it. And I loved my year there. That was one of my favorite years of teaching was mm-hmm. going back to, you know, yeah. it was my old classroom. Like I had, oh my gosh. I had uh, you know, trippy. I was a fifth grader in that classroom. I taught fourth grade there and just an awesome group of kids, mm-hmm. great, great family there. And, um, and I was planning on going back for a, a second year there. And then uh, an old high school friend of mine who was teaching at Willamette. He's teaching at Willamette now? No. He's actually a principal now. It's funny because he wasn't teaching. I started teaching before he did. We went to high school together, and then he got a business degree out of college, and he was like, I don't care about business. I don't know why, you know. Oh, gosh. He didn't know what he was doing, and I was like, you should teach. You'd be great at it. Totally. And, And then he went back, and he got his teaching degree, and then he, um, but he was an intern at Willamette. He was mm. student taught there and got on at Willamette, taught there for eight years. And, um, you know, I should have known because we would meet, once he started teaching, we would meet over the summers and we would kind of trade teaching ideas. We would talk mm-hmm. about education and uh, just kind of catch up and say, well, here's some stuff that I'm doing and trade ideas. And, you know, the first year we did that, you know, it was his first year. I had been teaching for, I think, three or four years. And so I kind of felt like I was, you know, giving him some ideas, showing him the ropes, you know. And then by the second and third year we did it, I was like, geez, this guy's, like, passing me by. Like, what's going on here? Like, <laughs> this, guy's, on. this guy's good. <laughs> and I realized once I got out here, I was like, oh, it's because he was in this oh. environment out here at Willamette. And, and, and also the district as a whole just does a really good job of, um, of developing their teachers and, um, and feeding us like the latest research and uh, the things that we should know about best practices and giving us time to, um, you know, especially at Willamette, like letting us explore and try out these ideas mm-hmm. and collaborate with other amazing teachers. Um, so he um yeah he ended up after being at willamette for eight years he took a a, an instructional coordinator position basically a vice principal position over at stafford okay and uh it was kind of last minute it was like two weeks before school started so he called me up and he was like hey it's shot in the dark but i know you've talked about getting into public schools like um they're looking for a fourth grade teacher you know like i'm would you be interested in taking my job? And I really, I wasn't even going to take the interview at first. I was like, I can't do this to my principal. Like, the school's going to start in two weeks. We report back in one week. Like, I'm not going to leave her high and dry like that. But then I, you know, I talked to my wife and I thought, well, I'll just, I'll take the interview. And so um, I got a call from David Pryor. Yeah. Who's now the, um, assistant superintendent and was the principal at the time at Willamette and Sarah McCarney who was the instructional coordinator and now is the principal over at Stafford and they called me up and we just talked for 45 minutes on the phone just the initial phone screener and I got off the phone and I was like okay like this is (laughs) the this I I need to pursue this um these are the sort of people that I want to be working with they just, I mean, it was just so natural to have a conversation with them. And we were just, it seemed like we were on the same page. So, and the interview process was really, I mean, strenuous out here. Like they just, they really weed out, Yeah. you know, it's, it, there were, you know, there was the phone screener. Then I came in for an interview and 
it was Sarah and David again, and Mark Silverman was in there, oh, and uh, yeah, and and Daniel Sloan. It was like just this oh, my goodness. Hall of Fame uh, yeah, panel seriously. that I was in there. But I, you now. know, for me it was good because I had this job. You know, I had called my principal and told her I wanted to be up front with her. I was like, listen, here's the deal. I'm going to take this interview. And I just want you to know about it. And she was very, uh, you know, she was appreciative that I called her and told her about it. Um, but she was like, you know, if it doesn't work out, we, we want you back, you know, obviously. So I went into this and I loved that school, too. I had such a great experience at that school. I went into this interview at Willamette like it doesn't work out. Like, yeah, you got I got I can fall back on this other job. Right. So um so I went in just really loose and um and and just had a great interview and it just felt so natural. I mean, looking back on it now, it's like Daniel Sloan is like this incredible wise teacher that was in there and of course we connected in there. Mark Silverman, you yeah. know, like this incredible man. Um this incredible counselor in there that I just ended up just being completely inspired by. It was like, of course I connected with him. And then Sarah and David, just two just dedicated, amazing educators. It was like, it was just, it felt fun to be in there and just kind of shoot the breeze with these. I've just felt like having a conversation in there. It's like, what do you guys want to know? I'll talk yeah. to you about. I was yeah. super relaxed. And, um, it was funny cause afterwards, uh, Phil Anderson, who I had gotten, the, who had recommended me for the job, he said he went out with uh, Daniel Sloan afterwards, and uh, they were talking, and Daniel was like, "You totally told him what, you know, what we needed to hear and stuff." And he's like, "I swear, I didn't tell him anything. It was just kind of this. We're we just we both connected. have kind of the same philosophy on education, um, and so I think that's why it's such a good fit out here, and why." after being commuting for two years and thinking, I mean, I told David Pryor in the middle of my second year, I was like, I'm not coming back. Like I can't commute anymore. And I do not want to leave Portland. Like I'm Portland guy. I got, I'm very stubborn. And I was like, I'm born and (laughs) raised in Portland. My kids live in Portland. I want them to be in Portland. I'm a Portland guy. I was like, I'm not moving to the suburbs. And, um, yeah. And now here I am suburban dad. But I mean, it was, um, you know, when I got down to it, especially with my wife being in Portland Public Schools and then her just being in HR and she was just like, you got a good thing going out there. And, you know, Scott Wavra, who's another like amazing teacher at Willamette and we became great friends. And I was like, you know, I just I would think about like, I don't want to leave Scott. Like I'm learning so much from him. We're developing like a great friendship. And um, I just want to I want to stay around these people. Like, yeah. I, this is the environment I want to be in. And then, again, the clincher was just like, and my girls can be out here with me. And yeah. they get to be educated by these other amazing people out here, you know, where we don't have to worry every year, like, oh, who's their teacher going to be? It's like, I don't care who their teacher's going to be. They're going to have an amazing year. Yeah. So that that was it. You know, that's how I kind of ended up so out then here. How did, so then now, how many years have you taught then? Like, Willamette now? This is my fifth year. This is your fifth year. Okay. So, so the first two years were really tough because I actually taught a blend my first year, uh, a okay. four or five blend. And the fourth graders that were moving on to fifth grade, they were expecting to have Mr. Anderson back. And they loved Phil Anderson, who's obviously amazing. And Phil's now a principal. You know, he started after me. He's a principal out in Eastern Oregon. And 
So he's just this awesome guy. And so it was like the first year I come in and they're like, you're not Mr. Anderson. So I had to get right. out of Phil's shadow. And then the next year, um, I moved to fifth grade and Mr. Sloan, who had been teaching a yeah. four or five blend, his kids that were expecting to have him again in fifth grade, they moved them to my classroom. So oh. all of his, half of his class that were expecting to have him and they loved him. We're like, they got put into my class, and like, we don't want Mr. Baumbach, <laughs> <laughs> we want Mr. Sloan. Right. And so it was like two years of like, first half of my class wanted yeah. a different teacher. The next year, they wanted somebody else. And so it was a lot of, it really felt like that third year. I mean, I, I definitely ended up having good years and, and developing good relationships with, with all of them, and, and I think everything went really well. Um, but I definitely felt that, especially at the beginning of the year, I had to like really work to build my reputation back up, which was hard for me because those first, you know, I had spent nine years in Portland when I was teaching and it was, I had developed a good relationship. And even when I went to that new school, I guess my reputation had kind of preceded me when I got there. Um, you know, I had parents coming up to me that was like, oh, we talked to so-and-so and we're so excited to have you here. But out here, nobody knew who I was. Right, so I had to really right. work to build that back up. Right. And then it was by my third year, I started having kids come in. They were like, oh, oh yeah, I get Mr. I get Mr. Baumbach this year. And that was a good feeling because I knew I really worked, you know, two, two long years to, to kind of feel like I built that up. Yeah. And then from there, now I feel like, you know, I've, I've built up a reputation again that I feel good about. And, um, well, it seems like you've been there forever in my eyes, even though you really haven't. Cause that's yeah, five years now. Yeah. Cause so. well, cause Joey was kindergarten. So you definitely weren't there when he started kindergarten. He's in seventh grade now. So yeah, now I, I met Joey and cause I teach a basketball class after yeah. school an enrichment class and Joey was in there. That was the first time I met Joey. Yeah, wearing rocking his blazer gear all the time. That's why I was <laughs> well, like, I like, I like this kid. He's he always wearing is. blazer stuff, and well, he's and he's a blazers hooper. And, blazers and cowboys. I don't know how you feel about Dallas Cowboys, but man, we're Cowboys fans. Um, yeah, or I. My, my brother and my dad are. I, I really. Gave, I gave up football a couple years ago. Okay. When we bought our house, you're a basketball guy. I'm a basketball like, guy. Like through and through. Oh yeah. He listens to podcasts. It's the only podcast he listens to, yeah. really, right? That pretty much. You coach, right? I coach. I used to referee. Uh, I still play from time to time. Um, Do you play at the Wednesday night things? I started the Wednesday night. Oh, you're the one that game. started it. I told. Well, because we moved out here, that was one of the things. We moved out here, and I didn't have a game to play in, because I had been playing in pickup basketball games in Portland, and then we moved out here, and I was like, well, where do people play basketball out here? Like, you know, I don't want to go pay to pay to play somewhere, and. Um, and so, yeah, I started up a pickup game at the school. Yeah, that's so, cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So back to um, the some of the things I want to talk about, like within the classroom atmosphere. Yeah. And when you talk about like philosophy, and I mean, I know, um, I mean, as a parent, I kind of see some of those philosophies, but I'm sure that behind the scenes, there's a lot more going on than what we see, obviously. Um, but I do know that whatever you guys are doing and whatever you are doing personally is, is definitely making my daughter's worldview bigger. Mm -hmm. And like, and I think living in a place where the, like everything seems kind of the same. Like I like diversity. Mm -hmm. I like um, culture. I like all these things. And then you have this environment where it's like great quality 
learning and thinking about outside the box, but like really technically their environment is kind of the same, you know, they're just seeing the same things or whatever, but you're, you guys as a group are challenging them to think outside of their living circumstances in all aspects. That to me is so inspiring. And that's what I've really seen with Ruthie is like just this big mindset, mm-hmm. healthy mindset and that kind of thing. And then, you know, how are you taking that and learning? Um, I know that one thing yeah, I would love for you to expand on is the world peace game that you, you're the only one really trained in that, right? In the school? For the, uh, no, oh, okay. uh, Tina Alaverdian. Oh, she got uh, trained for she it? She got trained for it. Okay. So we're the only two in the school that are trained to certified facilitators of the so game. like with that philosophy of that and then also just like what i mean i guess maybe i should just be asking like what is your main goal in the classroom and um, that obviously reflects philosophy and just their mindsets and um and obviously what they need to learn you know yeah well the world peace game you know that actually was kind of the catalyst that got us to move out here okay. to be honest because it was during my second year of teaching at Willamette, and I, I was, I, there were some kids that were kind of, um, there's a lot of bickering and kind of, uh, you know, some kids weren't getting along. You know, there was just some, you know, it's pretty typical kind of um, fifth grade stuff mm-hmm. that was happening. And um, I was listening to a podcast, TED Radio Hour podcast, and um, there was this amazing guy named John Hunter. Um, he was a teacher from Virginia, and he had created this thing called the World Peace Game. And uh, he was talking about this game, and I thought, oh, this would be amazing. I'd love to bring this into my class. Maybe this could be the thing that could bring my class together, bring some peace into this class mm-hmm. with some of these kids that are struggling to, to get along. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I looked into it. I thought it was just going to be some board game or something that you bought, uh, ordered off the Internet, some kit that you'd get or something. Yeah. But it was, I looked into it and I was like, no, it's this, you have to take a class. Yeah, it looked intense. Yeah. I went and looked at it when you guys were doing it. But yeah, yeah. it's like a, you know, it's a whole, um, you know, they explain it as like, it's like risk on steroids. It's like, a, it's a multi-level, three-dimensional game board. You know, it stands, you know, six feet tall and it's uh, four feet by four feet wide and there's uh, four different levels to it. And it's basically, um, it, it basically puts a bunch of real-world, heavy-duty scenarios on the board, crises uh, on the board. You know, there's famine and uh, war and um, there's uh, refugee crises and um, global warming. And, you know, there's all sorts of different uh, crises that you throw at the kids and you're like, all right, solve this problem now. Um, and they're all like in different groups, like, yeah, they're all, you know, there's, there's four different countries and, uh, there's different agencies. There's the United Nations, there's the world bank, um, there's arms dealers. Um, um, Ruthie, you were in the, she was in the United Nations. I I believe she was the, the head of the United Nations. Yeah. She um, took it very seriously. She did. She yeah. did. So I, I learned about this game and I went to, you know, I, I was like, how do I, how do I take this class? I went to their website and it was like, they, they were teaching three classes that year. There was a class in Virginia where this guy, John Hunter was from. Uh, there was a class in Prague Whoa. And uh, and then there was a class in Corvallis, Oregon. Whatever. <laughs> so I was what like, what are the chances? I was like, what? So, so I went to uh, David Pryor, 
And I was like, and I had already told him I wasn't coming back to Willamette. I was like, I'm, and I had been applying for jobs in Portland public schools and he knew that. And I went in and I was like, Hey, but it was expensive. And so I said, Hey, if I take this class, like, would you guys pay for it? And he was like, does that mean that you'd stay at Willamette? And I was like, pay for this class. I might think about it. <laughs> and he was Way like, and he yeah. was like, well, he's, he's like, and they explained, you know, like we have money set aside for all teachers for professional development. Like mm -hmm. one of the things I love about the district is they're really supportive in uh, teachers continuing their education and for professional development. So they were like, you have this much money for professional development every year. And, um, and I said, oh, okay, well, that would cover almost all the costs. And I emailed the people from the World Peace Game, and they said, well, we'll, we'll offer you a scholarship um, to cover the rest of it. And I was like, seriously? Okay. Wow, so awesome. I ended up, so that day after David Pryor told me that, I got in the car, and I said, well, if I, I said, I can't leave and yeah. still take this class. I can't take money from the district and then leave. Right. So if I'm going to take this class, like you have to stay. I have to stay at Willamette. So I got in the car that day and I called my wife and I was like, so what kind of house could we get out in, <gasps> in Westland? Oh. She was like, seriously? Cause she had been asking for it. And I was like, no, no, no. Um. And this is the first time I called was when I found out like I could play this world peace game. So it wasn't, I, I ended up taking the class that summer, uh, down, um, in Corvallis and it was, um, it was a week-long course, and this guy, John Hunter, is just like, he was amazing. I, if you have a chance to go watch his TED Talk, okay. John Hunter, the World Peace Game, Google okay. him. He is just this amazing man with this calm, quiet voice. Um, he changed the way I teach. Just he changed, he changed the way I communicate with kids. Well, you communicate very, I mean, you talk like an adult to kids like you yeah i mean expand on that like what do you like what it like what is your i i don't how do you talk to kids yeah i mean i just treat them i just talk to them like people i don't mm -hmm. baby them and mm -hmm. and i push them really hard mm -hmm. and that's kind of the philosophy of this game is you know john created this game in 1979 i think and wow, so, so uh yeah so he's been playing it for 40 years and um and his whole goal was just to overwhelm the kids and let them figure it out. I mean, the whole philosophy behind the game, the, the main uh, objective of the class uh, is to teach the teachers to step back and let the kids figure it out for themselves. You know, you're a facilitator. You know, you are, you're not standing up there lecturing the kids. You give them uh, uh, something some sort of problem and then step back and let their collective wisdom you know try and come up with the solution and resist the temptation to step in and help out um and so uh that's kind of you know i i really challenge kids a lot you know we that's kind of um you know the the pillars of my classroom when i have one of the pillars is and I learned this from a, a woman named Zaretta Hammond. Um, she introduced something called the learning pit to me, which ah, is a post, yeah. a big poster that I have up in my classroom. Mm -hmm. I learned that from her and I, um, I loved it. And I went home and I spent 
a summer just kind of recreating my own learning pit that I wanted in the classroom. And it's a visual um, metaphor for learning, basically, which is, you know, this learning is not easy. You know, mm -hmm. there's a process. Really, I'm trying to teach kids how to learn and how to problem solve, how to be critical thinkers. Um, because, and I tell my kids that all the time, like the most important thing that you're going to learn in my class is not our daily math lesson or the reading or writing strategies that I'm teaching you. The most important thing that you're going to learn is how to learn. So I want to teach and how to be a critical thinker and how to have a growth mindset and how to calm yourself down when you're feeling those strong emotions that come with learning. Because learning something um, is something new is incredibly frustrating mm -hmm. at times. Um, but it's worth it if you can fight through, if you can get your make your way through the pit. There's all these levels of the learning pit, and it starts off with a willingness to kind of go in and try. And the first few stages are, this is confusing. I don't get it. I want to quit. Um, I'm so confused about this. There's obstacles in the way. Um, and then it progresses towards like, okay, I'm going to give this another try. Here's a, an idea that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try out. There's a collaboration piece to it as you're getting out of the pit you know there's visuals of people helping each other up you know so that you know you're not alone in this um so you know i try and balance out kids working individually working in partnerships working in small groups working as a whole group working as a whole school um and so that they know that you know we've got people to help and support you along the way and bounce your ideas off of and and then the feeling of pride, the intrinsic reward at the end, once you kind of say to yourself, I was right not to give up as you're climbing up out of the pit and then your arms raised at the end of just like, this is this is why I did this. This is the yeah. best feeling in the world. Um, That's so powerful. Yeah, it's why you push yourself. Um, so, and I, you know, I look back at how I kind of developed that idea. And when I went to high school, I went to a, private high school um i went to central catholic in portland and so i needed a scholarship to go there and um they had set up a lot of the uh kids from holy redeemer um needed scholarships if they wanted to go to some of the other catholic schools in portland uh, which they always encouraged and and uh there was a this amazing guy um named john cheney and i've tried to find John Cheney, but it's such a common name, like trying to Google right. John, John Cheney. I can't, can't find him. I was just find the old temple basketball coach from, uh, the eighties and nineties. I can't find this John Cheney that I'm looking for. Cause I want to thank him. Okay. John Cheney. If you're yeah, out there, if you're out there, John Cheney, <laughs> John Cheney, get a hold of me. Um, he, we would go as part of the scholarship that he gave all these kids. I mean, I don't know how much oh money gosh, he gave to these kids. Seriously, wow. But as part of that, like every other month, we would have to meet together and uh, we would have to have a one on one meeting with John Cheney. And he was the nicest guy, like just the coolest guy. Um, and he would always ask us questions and interview us, but he would always ask the same question. He would say, what, are you, what did you do recently to go outside of your comfort zone? And when I was a kid, I was like, what are you talking? Like, I never understood what that question meant until I got older. And I was yeah. like, I actually, like, tried to comprehend, like, comfort zone, going outside of your, why does that matter? 
Right. And, um, and then I realized like, oh, like going outside of your comfort zone, like that's how you learn. That's how you grow. Um, and so I talk a lot in my class about going outside of your comfort zone. Like I tell my kids first day of school, like get comfortable being uncomfortable in here. Because kids will come in and they're all excited and kids will, I'll see third graders now. They'll say, I want you as my teacher. And I'll be like, be careful what you wish for. Like, yeah. you know, are you sure about that? Because like, I'm not easy. Like, I'm going to push you. Like, I don't make things easy on you. So be ready. Be ready to work if you if you really want me. Like, I'm going to make you work in there. Yeah. Um, you know, I do it with a smile on my face. But because um, I try and because um, I, I, I tell them like, you're going to, I'm going to make you uncomfortable in here, but in a safe environment where you can, you know, that like you can fail in here and it's a good thing yeah. and you're going to learn a lot from that. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of the avenue for, for growth in my classroom is just pushing kids outside of their comfort zone. And with that, um, and, and the world peace game is just one, um, one way that I do that is just by throwing them into this chaos and saying, okay, together you guys have to find your way out. Well, and that's exactly what I saw that, I mean, I only went there that one day, but it was like, it was like, um, I, okay. So I, like, I walked in there, you had chairs set up for some of the parents. Um, and I watched these kids, like you kind of, you were definitely kind of just on the side, you know, and they were, they were like, it looked like they were, kind of just like some of them nodding off some of them kind of just like like they looked kind of like (laughs) like they weren't doing anything but then when you like said okay this now you guys have to come together they all had their answers like they all had it all dialed in like it was bizarre to watch like them yeah they that would i i don't know how you do it i was just like oh like just no it's become (laughs) it's become easier since i've done it this is i think the third third time that I've done it and the first two times I did it I was trying to learn the game myself because it's so complex right there's so many layers it's definitely not for everybody um and um like I've known people that have taken the class that just left and they were like I I'm not gonna be able to do this because not only because I had to build the board myself I had to find all the pieces and there's like thousands of pieces on this board and it's it's you have to be very ambitious and i'm i when i get i i'm ambitious when i get an idea in my head i i go for it and so and i went for it and um and you know the the school and uh they supported me so much and um and it was just yeah it was it was fantastic to to have an opportunity to get in there and try this out in the first year i was just I was overwhelmed more than the kids were, I think. And so I was trying to keep up. Um, and then this year, I, I I knew what was going on on the board. I went back because I'd watched video of John playing the game. Because when we took this master class, John Hunter, the first part of the day, we watched John Hunter playing this game with a group of kids. And then afterwards, we debrief and go over it, and we spend an afternoon together talking about it and learning about how to facilitate the game. But I had some video of John teaching this game, and I went back and watched, and I noticed like he just has command of the board. He knows everything that's going on, and that helped him 
ask kids questions because a lot of my job is just to ask questions because the kids are really I mean you you really move from checkers to chess it's kind of like they have to see two or three steps ahead yeah and they have to see the consequences of their actions right and they have to see the consequences of those consequences so you really my job once I really learned how to um, what was going on on the board was just to ask questions. Well, have you thought about this? Well, if you do that, how's that going to affect these people over here? So I'm just constantly just peppering them with questions. And that's, that's my job. I watch the clock. I ask questions. And, uh, and that's pretty much it. And then I let them figure it out. Because wow. wow. there's only three rules. It's really, can you afford it? Um, do you understand the consequences and uh does it make sense like no magical you know unicorns well, or I mean, anything how, like that how how i mean applicable is that to their daily life i mean think think through things before you just do them yeah you know well and a lot of the stuff we started to you know as part of our read aloud before the game we started reading articles about some of the stuff that they were going to see in the game that that's actually happening in real life right you know yeah right yeah. and you know you start off the game by apologizing to the kids and saying hey my generation and the generations before us have screwed up pretty bad and we left you with some props some really bad problems here and it's up to you guys to figure this out like we're really sorry about that but you guys are the, the ones that are going to have to figure out and solve our problems here that we created for you so yeah, sorry so but it's on you that. have fun here you I'll go see you when i God or whatever. Oh, geez. Yeah, yeah. So it's not easy, but it's like, you know, it, it's kind of a little bit of the reality of like, yeah, life's not easy sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of difficult decisions that you have to make and there's a lot that you have to take into consideration. And so yet yeah, treating them, talking to them like, um, like they're people and not like they're babies, I think is really important. It helps to develop, um, it helps to develop a sense of, um, I, I think they appreciate that, um, that you're, well, yeah. you know, cause when you're a kid, you know, when I was a kid, I wanted to be older. I was mm -hmm. always looking forward to being older. And so if somebody, you know, nobody likes it when you're treating them, you I know. know, when you're talking down to them. And so I just talk to them like they're normal people. I've done that with my daughters from an early age. It's mm -hmm. just, I didn't do much baby talk outside of, you know, once they were able to recognize who I was and talk back a little bit I would just communicate with them like uh, learn the language right right so. yeah well and I see that with um I, I think I was challenged with that more as a parent um when Ruthie came along because she wanted to be more um she she demanded that more so yeah. um whereas the other you know they the other two are more like they're, they would take command or they would do this or they would do that. And I think Ruthie does not like to be boxed into things. And, you know, and so it challenged me to be like, as a disciplinarian, um, to really look at the big picture of like, well, you need to figure out what those consequences are. And this is my expectation. And this is the, our house. Like, what do you have to contribute to that? Or, you know, those kind of things. And I mm -hmm. felt like I was in a really good um, direction with that. And it really does help our household and then the way that I'm raising the kids and then to see that kind of in their learning environment too really 
validates that at home and at school, which is really cool. I feel like. Yeah, this, I mean, do you see that with at your? I mean, you see that at your home, and you see that you carry that to the school. Yeah, I mean, the way that I communicate, I, I, you know, the cool thing about being out in this district and having them give us all this, this information is, it puts a vocabulary and a and a kind of a framework around things that my philosophies that I've always had. Like mm-hmm. when I got hired, at in the district, they gave me uh, the book Mindset by Carol Dweck. And it was all about, that's where I learned about growth mindset and uh, versus a fixed mindset. And it was like, oh, this is kind of, now I have a framework and yeah, words, words, you know, I have a vocabulary and I have, now I have that poster up in my room and mm-hmm. I refer to it on a daily basis. It's like, and one of the other th- things, uh, another framework that was put around kind of these ideas that I had that I was never really, somebody else kind of did the, did the work to kind of, um, you know, articulate it mm-hmm. in the way that I had always thought. I didn't know how to articulate it. This woman, Zaretta Hammond, had something in her book about kind of there were four quadrants of how teachers can kind of communicate with people. And I don't remember what all of them are. One's like an authoritative kind of voice. And I f- really was glad that I was checked off most of the boxes on this idea called warm demander, where you are demanding but you also have this warmth. So, you know, I can push my kids and be very hard on them, my daughters, but also my students, because the reason that I can do that is because I work really hard to develop relationships with them. And so they know that I love them, that I care about them, that I want the best for them. And so once I've built that trust within them, now I can push you because you know that's coming from a good place. Right. So, um, and you might not like me all the time and, um, and that's okay. I'm okay with that. Um, I don't take that personally if you're upset with me because I know that that's part of the process. You know, the frustration we know is part of it. Um, and my job is to really give you feedback and to push you to do something that's really difficult. You know, the kids don't always want to do stuff that's hard for them. They want the easy stuff. But I tell them, like, if it's easy for you, then you know how to do it already. And if you already know how to do it, then there's no point in me teaching you. So I have to teach you. My job is to teach you what that next step is, um, is, is, to, is to help you progress and to help you grow. And if you're just kind of you know, there is obviously some benefit to just general practice right. with, uh, with some things that, um, that you know how to do uh, to reinforce, you know, basic mechanics of thinking or, or doing. But, um, but I think, you know, I only have the kids for a certain number of days and I'm expected to teach a lot in those, in those right. days. And so it's like, I take that pretty seriously, and it's like, yeah. all right, you guys, let's go. We hit the ground running, um, you know, day one. And the first thing I teach them is about their brains. Oh, know? yeah, Ruthie really, that makes, t- that has helped, yeah. I mean, Ruthie yeah. talks a lot about that, about the brain. She's like, oh, that's the frontal cortex, you know, um, my HIPAA. Hippocampus. <laughs> yeah, and the, and the, um. Well, and that tied with the core practice stuff too. Yeah, so that's, I mean. 
you kind of tied that in, I think. Yeah, those those so. kind of came together. I mean, that was another thing about being out at Willamette is I had an opportunity to, you know, it was really, I had started learning about mindfulness. Mm-hmm. I just kind of heard about it on the podcast that I was listening to. I remember the first time I heard it, somebody's like, mindfulness, John Kabat-Zinn. And I was like, what is this? And then Googled it and I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. It's another one of these frameworks that kind of went around this. Yeah philosophies that I had kind of been living with but didn't really you know once I get these frameworks then I really fine-tune my understanding of it and it and it changes how I act and how you can implement it yeah how I think about things and how I can implement it into my life and into my classroom and so I started learning about mindfulness and um and we were studying it one year it was kind of I decided that was the topic that we were going to do our, we had to do some research writing. And I was like, let's research mindfulness. There seems to be a lot of benefits of it. Let's figure out what this is all about. And I had a sub one day, so I had to write sub plans. And so I was trying to find these articles on mindfulness for the kids to read uh, that my sub could give to the kids. And I came across um, this curriculum, this Mind Up curriculum. It's actually written by Goldie Hawn. What? Yeah. Uh, I love which, that chick. <laughs> so she, I guess, as Holy part hell. of her charitable work, like she was really into mindfulness and meditation and stuff, but she was really interested in getting it into schools because oh, she saw the benefits of getting it into schools. Mm-hmm. And there's tons of research out there about the benefits of this, and especially with, with children and in schools. And so I saw this, and then at the end of the year, they said, you have a little bit of money left in your account. I hadn't spent, you know, and they said, if, if you don't spend it, then it's gone. We get, you know, a couple dollars to spend on school supplies or books or whatever each year. And I was reaching my deadline and they said, if you don't, if you don't spend the money, it's going to be gone. So I looked at this, I bought this mind up curriculum with it. It It's like 20 bucks and it came in and then I, I was like, oh, this is going to change. This is a complete game changer now. Uh, 20 bucks. I got this. You know, it's it's the first thing I teach every year is um, first thing that you do is you teach about the brain. So kids, which makes sense. It's like, yeah, okay, this is the tool that you bring to school every day. It's the tool that you have to master. If you master this, you have the superpower to do whatever you want to do, to learn whatever you want to learn. Um, so, yeah, I teach them about the part of their brain, their amygdalas that control their strong emotions and um and about their hippocampus which um you know puts you know stores their memories of those strong emotions and um and about their prefrontal cortex which is their decision making part of their brain and um how when their amygdalas are on when they're feeling those strong emotions their prefrontal cortex is off Right. And so if your prefrontal cortex is off, like you're not going to be able to learn very much. Um, So being able to understand, being aware of that part of their brain and then understanding how to use that, uh, those parts of their brain and also how to control those things. So when I notice a kid's getting very upset, if they're working on a math problem and they're really upset and they're frustrated, I'll say, well, what part of your brain are you using right now? my amygdala it's like oh my gosh it's so so and it's <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so then they understand yeah. like okay this is what's pushing can you name like how are you feeling right now 
you know, I'm really frustrated, I'm confused, okay? So now we know what's pushing you from behind, okay? This is the thing that's pushing those emotions. What are our strategies to kind of calm that part of our brain down so that we can turn back on that thinking part of our brain? What, are, what can we do? And there's a variety of strategies that we go over, but one of the things that we do each day is this core practice, which is basically just a, we stop and reset three times a day. We turn off the lights, we sit up straight, I ring a bell, they close their eyes and they breathe for a minute, three minutes, and it's just calm in the room. All you do is breathe. You know, yeah. I'll do some, I'll guide them in a few ways. I might tell them to pay attention to this and that, you know, yeah. maybe some sounds, maybe some, you know, their feet touching the ground or their legs on the chair. Just being aware of themselves. Just being aware. Sometimes we'll do a mindful eating exercise, you know, just take that little goldfish cracker and put it in your mouth. Don't bite down. Just kind of feel the texture of it and just just be aware of things and sometimes it's a gratitude sort of thing where we think about okay what are the things that we're grateful for right now you know some things that we take for granted sometimes let's think about those every once in a while so we we stop we do it first thing in the morning we do it when they come back in from recess which is good because they're amped up mm -hmm. and so it kind of settles them down gets their brains back into that learning ready mode and then we do it when they come back up from lunch and recess at the end of the day uh, before we kind of go into our afternoon period of the day and it really just kind of calms things down you know some kids are a little bit more resistant to it than others but once they buy in you know I've had kids I've had parents come up and say like this has changed everything for my kid you know yeah yeah I've had parents calling me like in tears like Aww. thankful that like you know this has been something that's helped my kid overcome their anxiety yeah you know? well and that's another big part of what I think too the struggle is with kids these days I mean I mean I'm just as you're even talking I'm like oh my gosh if I had had that learning environment when I was a kid I think I would have my learning experience would have been a lot different but also we don't have the stressors than that we do now and so right. these kids that are i mean a lot of kids struggle with anxiety yeah. or if it's not anxiety it's just more of like you know it's an overused word in some ways but like just in my opinion it's it's more like a heightened feeling of stress mm -hmm. so whatever that's coming from that's the reality right well yeah and then you know as they as they're getting older and you know like they're getting more into social media sort of stuff mm -hmm. like there's that fear of missing out mm -hmm. um FOMO. yeah and um and that creates a lot of anxiety you know those those phones and ipads are built to make you feel anxious so that you keep coming back to them yeah you know right um oh i definitely see the my with the very little inv involvement i have the school and i can say this because i'm the parent but the kids that have those phones, man, it's it's a struggle. I see the kids struggling. Like they have to mentally put their phones away. They have to make that decision. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough deal. It's it's an interesting experiment yeah, that, that the society parent, is going through right yeah, now. Yeah, and as a teacher. Well, yeah, as a parent, you know, it's like we've got, you know, we have, uh, you know, my girls have access to quite a few screens at home, and my wife and I are always talking about like what's the best way to go about this like 
do we allow them to have these screens? How often do we allow them mm -hmm. to have them? In what capacity? You know, when they do have the screens, what are they allowed to do on them? Um, it's it's a really you know because we're still figuring out you know some of the research is starting to come out of yes. like you know the um, some of the pitfalls of having these tools. Well, I've per oh man, I could this could be a whole other podcast of totally. passion. Yeah, I mean. I'm into it. I mean, we did, that was last year, our research was screen time. Yeah. You know, I wanted the kids to look at screen time. Um, like, do you had them do that at home, kind of? No, in class. I, you know, we, we found we articles it. and we read about it. And, oh, that's cool. Um, you know, I try and when we do research, have them do something that's relevant to them. Like, I've done sleep, um, screen time, mindfulness, something that they can... That, that's relevant to from, all of them. Yeah. Right. I mean, taking it out of the classroom into the home. I mean, yeah, but the screen, yeah, the screen time stuff is is fascinating to me. It's, it's scary. It's so scary. It's so well having a teen, you know, and seeing um, some of the stuff going down. Like, I know. Just, I really honest, I can honestly say this. Like, with Joey being in seventh grade. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the generation right before Joey. So this, the ones that are eighth graders now, those parents, a lot of those parents, that, that specific generation to what Joey's generation is, even that small little mm -hmm. huge difference, yeah, black and white different. It is like, I mean, talk about, it's like a river, like, you know, like the river down here, it's like zero, zero, yeah. to Alton meets the, yeah. you know, it's kind of mysterious to me. It's like so mysterious, right? It's like you go over there like, Ooh, two rivers colliding, you yeah. know? That's how I feel about this technology is that a generation like completely did one way, not knowing. And then our incoming sixth graders, we were like, okay, flip phones, that's it. I'm not, and we're just like, bleh, bleh. Yeah. You know, um, I know with girls, it's totally different. But with the boys situation, like a lot of my friends, we were like, no, let's, let's all unite on this for, you know, now. And then let's just deal with it as we, it gets hit. And that's helped a ton. Yeah reevaluate get the education and now there is studies you know and yeah i uh, try and read any article that comes up about screen so, time yeah. i'm i'm taking a look at it you know it was you know i'm i'm 37 i was born in 81 you're 37 yeah so oh. i was i was born in 1981 so which when's was when's your birthday december 3rd okay so you into like the no the, no the, i always ask that stuff i know yeah. i'm you know a sagittarius mr. <laughs> yeah you're a sagittarius <laughs> do you know that mr wobber and i have the same birthday do you yeah Scott. It's got to be a good sign. Yeah. He's a good guy. He is a good guy. Well, we were just happened to be at a place where I was just like, yeah, birthday's October 9th. Or no, he said his Oct birthday was October 9th. I was like, what? That's my birthday. What? <laughs> what? So ever since then, like, I still text him, even at school, like, Scott, happy birthday, you know, or whatever. But um, anyway, I was saying that because, um, yeah, you did a lot in your 37 years, if you think about it. I'm yeah, I mean, I, I try like, to, I, I try not... to, you know, I'm, I'm adventurous, but I, you know, it's interesting growing up the way, the way that we grew up because it was like, you know, I didn't have a cell phone until, and I was kind of later, uh, Me too. you know, I had some of my friends were angry with me cause they were like, we can oh, never get a hold of yeah. you. And I you was like, like, I kind of like it that way. Yeah, like, exactly. I like to, so, um, you know, but like I was out of college by the time I got a cell phone. Um, yeah. and, um, and we grew up, you know, without, 
you know, I was outside playing every single day. And I know, like, I know the kids still do that, but there's a lot. I mean, I, I know a lot of kids that, like, I, I don't know. I, I guess we did, we still did have a lot of screen time. Um, but it's, it's just so ubiquitous now. It's like they're everywhere. You know, mm-hmm. it's like my daughters, my, bo- my daughters have my, my old phone and my wife's old phone, like with the cracked screen. And I took, yeah. <laughs> when I gave it to them, you know, we put like really strict parameters. I deleted like every single app that was on there except for, you know, like the weather app and the music app. You know, mostly it's for listening to music and my oldest daughter uses it as an alarm clock. But oh I, my also, gosh, it's so cute. I also like yeah. turned off all the, like I took off the color on it. So it's all black and white. And they were like, I don't like that. And I was like, yeah, that's the point. Like, I don't like, oh you can do that. Yeah. I found out when somebody, one of the teachers at school told me about white, that. And I was oh like, Oh, I'm doing that tonight. <laughs> so I went home and I turned it to black and white and they were so angry with me. And that. I was like, Hey, crazy. I want you to use this like the Minimal. least amount possible. But yeah, I just didn't, you know, we grew up with, uh, even with computers. I mean, when I was going to school, we had a computer lab, but it was just kind of keyboarding. Right. We keyboarding, didn't... Oregon Trail. Oh, know. yeah, the Oregon Trail. Um, you know, with the old floppy disks and stuff. And so, but we had a little bit of life. You know, we had the pre-cell phone life and then now the present cell phone life. Like, yeah. we got to live, we got to kind of see a little bit of both worlds. Mm-hmm. Like. Yeah. No internet for me until I was in high school. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember being in high school and being like, "What's this internet Ew, stuff?" Hell? Like, "Oh, cool!" Like, you know. And um, so we got to live in in both of those worlds, mm-hmm. which I think is a is a good benefit to us. We kind of kind of remember like what yeah. it was like before all of this mm-hmm. stuff. And, that it can't exist. Yeah, and some of the benefits of living in that world, mm-hmm. um, but also now some of the benefits of um, of this world. Like Mm -hmm. you can see some, how to use it as a tool. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, with my daughters in particular, it's just, I'm trying to teach them how to use it as a tool. And what are the things that you need to be weary of? I mean, I, I tell them the internet's a lot like downtown Portland. Like, yeah, there's a lot of amazing stuff that you can go do in downtown Portland. There's also some dark alleys that you probably don't want to go down, and there's some people that you, you know, want to keep your eye on uh, as you're as you're walking around, just to make sure that you're keeping yourself safe. Um, and you've got to treat the internet the same way, but it's just so hard when, you know, it's this virtual reality, you know. Well, so. my opinion too is that I do I do that with the kids too, and I also teach um, them look how people are using the internet to scam you to yeah. be careful of that you know to look at it as really for what it is like a tool that can help you but also people use it and abuse it mm-hmm. towards you so yeah. like um i'll never forget this mr bombog it was traumatizing traumatizing <laughs> i was like looking up oh yeah it was my email like hotmail i don't mm-hmm. have hotmail anymore but i was like www.hotmail.com right well i forgot the t Okay, www.homeail.com. Okay, that took you to I a good place, I'm sure. I can't, I can't even tell you what I saw. I was just like, <laughs> what the? I mean, I was basically violated. Right. Visually violated, you know, and no one to say, nothing to do. I just stared at it and was just like, okay, that happened. And I immediately was like, 
they just took advantage of me. Somebody knew that someone would forget the tea, like me, and they used home mail because right. people dial into right. hotmail. Yeah, people forget the tea every once in a while. I'm that person. Yeah. Well, and, and there it, you go. You know, and I hate that. As much as you can do to kind of safeguard your kids around mm -hmm. that stuff, it's like, it's, I don't know, that's not really enough because they're still going to be exposed to it from outside sources. And True. And so, yes. it, for me, it's mostly like, be aware of this stuff. When you come across it, know what to do. Yes, um, yes. You know, uh, know how to react to these mm -hmm. sort of things. Talk to somebody. You know, I've talked to parents who have said, you know, I've, my kid's been on the bus coming home from middle school and some kid's pulling out their phone and showing them some inappropriate stuff mm -hmm. on there. And yeah. it's like, you know, the kid didn't ask for that. I know. You know, there's always going to be kids that are going to say, Dude. hey, look at this, mm -hmm. whatever it was. You know, that was happening pre-internet. You know, there's... Right, with they're always saying, paper stuff. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're always, you know, there's always going to be kids doing that. So just to... You know, I try and teach my daughters how to have an appropriate response to to that sort of stuff. And if you need to report something, how to report it, and you know, what's the difference between tattling and reporting? And um, I, I, that's kind of how I how I approach that sort of thing. And um, you know, same way that I do it in the classroom. Um, that is one thing about you that I've realized just even talking is that it sounds like you're as consistent in the classroom as you are at home. I try and be, you know, I try and... Which is a rare quality. I mean, you know, you. I mean, it takes a lot of freaking patience to yeah. be a teacher, go home, and be a parent and husband, you know? I mean, yeah. I know a lot of teachers struggle with that, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm a pretty patient guy, um, you know, and I think the whole learning about the brain and when I am finding myself get getting angry or impatient um to i've been you know learning about this stuff has helped me recognize it faster i've become more mindful the more i've learned about mindfulness the more mindful i've become the more i practice it so it has helped me get better at um at, at not following through with that anger being able to stop it mm -hmm. uh before it starts um it's such a powerful tool. It is. It's. It's. I, I tell the kids it's a superpower. It is. Like once you kind of figure this out, um, it it's really helpful. And and you know I tell them too like you're gonna flip your lid every once in a while. Mm -hmm. You know that's what we say. We've kind of got this. Oh yeah. Hand model of the right. brain where yeah it's, it's red. Like, and stuff. Yeah. The, you know red zone, green zone, yellow zone, and it's like. The red zone is that amygdala, and it's like, you're going to get into the red zone sometimes. You're going to flip your lid. Parents do it. Teachers do it. Kids do it. Like, everybody does it. You're not going to um, get rid of this stuff. You know, I remember my wife telling me she had learned something. You know, she had somebody teaching her about mindfulness, and she, one of her big takeaways, which I've really glommed onto, was I said, like, you're, it's not realistic to say, like, I'm going to get rid of the stress in my life. Like, you know, which is is a common way of thinking of just like, well, like I'm just gonna get say, rid of stress. That's when people say like, I'm I want to live a balanced life. Yeah, that's and, a hard thing right. to do. It's really hard because your life is gonna get out out of balance. And our principal, you know, brought that up this year at the beginning of the year. He said, you know, we talk about he would always talk about having balance in your life. And then at the beginning of this year, he said, I realize balance isn't always possible. So a better word I think is harmony. 
and okay. you know having a little mm-hmm. bit of harmony in your life you know because it's not life gets out of balance sometimes it gets out of whack you're going to be stressed out you're going to get angry it's you know so how do we um how do we respond with grace um and that's kind of what i try and get to i have my strategies i know what to do when my wife and i are upset with each other like i know where i need to go what i need to do and you know where how I can get back into a mode where we can have a calm conversation and not yell at each other, you know, or in the classroom when I'm getting frustrated with a kid who's, yeah. What do you do when you get like, what is your, like, do you just walk out? (laughs) I mean, I had a fifth grade teacher. I kid you not. I kid you not. And my sister, she had the same teacher and she ended up getting fired, but she threw a freaking coffee cup, a coffee cup in the classroom. Can you believe that? Yeah, I mean, I can believe it because it's like it's, there's some things. <laughs> she threw a coffee cup. Oh I yeah, I mean, you oh get um, especially when you get a, a a very stubborn student, you know. Right. Yeah. You know, but I think one of my benefits was I was kind of a you know I had some mischief when I was a kid. Um, like you were mischief. Oh yeah, I was in the principal's office, you know, from time to time. Um, you know, I would get into fights here and there. I would pull pranks and yeah, like oh, I, you know, like you got some dirt to share. <laughs> yeah, so I would, you know, I so I can, you know, I can always relate to some of these kids uh, pretty well. But I'm also like extremely stubborn, and so I can kind of relate to that too. So I see that oh, stubbornness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sometimes I'll call the kid out on it. You know, like you're being really stubborn right now. Like I'm just, just call a spade a spade. Yeah. Um, I have to have a good relationship with that kid. Um, Wait, do you say like you have to go, like what you've said before, you have to have a good relationship with that kid. Meaning, like you've built a relationship with that kid. Therefore, yeah. you can say you're being stubborn right now. Yeah, I'm not gonna do that necessarily on the first day of school. Right. Yeah. You know, I usually like, and not only the kid, but I like to have a good relationship with the parents too, mm-hmm. to know like what sort of parenting style does this parent have? Um, how much support are they going to um, give me? Because some parents are like, yeah, if my kid's being a, you know, a stinker, like call them out on it. Yeah. Whereas some parents are a little bit more like. Don't say that to my kid. Yeah, don't don't talk to my kid that way. And so, you know, I try and take that into consideration. You know, I'm not going to try and. I try and keep as good a relationship with the parents as I do. The kids. Yeah, the parent. I mean, that was the thing that I really got better at later in my career was like really trying to develop positive relationships with the parents as well. And I was, you know, being younger too. I started when I was 23, and so you know, all these people are older than me, and I didn't have kids, and so, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't know how to. I mean, I knew how to talk to the parents, but I didn't. It wasn't always, I didn't go to them as quickly as I do now. Now it's just like, boom, I'll, I'll, if something's going on, I'll just contact a parent right away and try and keep that open line of communication. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I went off on a tangent. I don't remember where, what my original line of thought was. But um, yeah, I think that communication, I think just general patience overall, you know, is just trying to notice when i'm getting angry and sometimes i need to walk away sometimes i'll tell a kid you need to go take a break right now um you know use the resources that i have available to me i mean every situation is going to be different 
sometimes I'll get a, another classmate to say, hey, will you go talk to your friend over here? Or sometimes it's like, hey, go out in the hallway for 30 seconds. You're not in trouble. Go take a couple deep breaths and come back in here. And yeah. when you're ready to do this, let's do it. Um, but yeah, sometimes I'm like, if I know the kid's lying, <laughs> oh, lying. Oh, I'll yeah. say like, I don't feel like you're being honest with me right now. Like the best thing here is just to be honest. That's going to help the situation out like a lot more. And sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, but you know, the kids, I've gotten pretty good at reading kids' body language and, and they're, you know, they're not very good at hiding stuff at when they're nine yet. Um, when you, such a sweet age. It is. I think fourth grade is kind of my sweet spot. Yeah. You know, I've only taught fourth and fifth grade. I student taught in kindergarten. I loved it. Like, I always said I would teach anywhere from kindergarten up to college. I'd be happy. Um, wow, that's a pretty broad range. Yeah, I would, really, I would yeah. enjoy. I think I think there's things about every every age that I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not – my wife, like, really – you know, she always wants the – the, our daughters to be babies again and I'm like no I want to see what's next like yeah. I'm excited to see growth like I really yeah I really like there are things about each level that I really enjoy and appreciate you know it's like I want them to be able to do more yeah um I don't know so um so yeah I don't know so I I yeah I try and I try and just communicate and and take every situation um, you know, for what it is, you know, I, I don't necessarily have a hard concrete way of approaching a situation. Right. Yeah. Just take it as it comes. Yeah. Just when it shows up, it's like, I'm pretty resourceful. I've learned how to be pretty resourceful. So I look at, you know, what the situation is, where I am, what other people, what resources do I have available to me? And, and I improvise, you know, I'm just flying by the seat of my pants. Right. Well, one thing I have, too, is, like, with the school is that, um, I know, like, being a parent and stuff, like, um, when a teacher, when a parent is having a problem with a teacher, like, I've had friends who have problems with certain teachers. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. Well, that it's, like, that almost kind of, like, they want the teacher to get in trouble, you know, for something or that kind of thing. And what I noticed is that it's, which is... I honestly tend to side with the fact that if if the te- if the principal is not supporting the teacher, then the structure to me is a little off because it, I feel like the teacher needs a place to go to get support, and if that right. community is like they're for each other and they need to back each other up, it's not dismissing the parent at all. But I do think it's important that the teacher is unified with the principal and, mm-hmm. the, and their community with teachers and collaborating and all that kind of stuff. Because the reality is, is that everybody wants what's best for the kid. Right. You know? And so I just, I do have to say, I really appreciate, um, that community of like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, I, it's been so clear that, um, that everyone is for the kid no matter what, Yeah. but how it's dealt with, with the parent is going to be different. It's just, right. it's not going to be like, you're not going to get in trouble the way you're not going to get revenge or like you're going to get a result by getting the teacher in trouble right in that way you know it's i I don't know i just well and that's where the work with you know establishing a a line of communication with Mm -hmm. the parents early on and you know for me problem solving quick yeah and i'm 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 way more flexible than a lot of other teachers are you know like um i'll i'll kind of 
you know, at, at least in some people that I'll talk to, like some some teachers that I'll talk to, will be like, I'm, I'm I would not do that, and I'm just like, if this is what the parent wants, as long as you know, I, I'll I'll work with the parent. Like if a parent wants something for their child and it's not necessarily going to hurt their child or anybody else, then I'll I usually I'm pretty flexible. I'll work with with the parent. Um, yeah. If I don't think it's a good idea, I'll tell the parent I don't right. think it's a good idea. And now, and I feel more comfortable doing that, having 14 years of experience yeah, now. Yeah, and having your own kids. Yeah, and having my own kids, I feel very comfortable being able to say, like, well, here's how I feel about this. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's where I think having a little bit of a reputation now um, gives me enough clout with the parent community um, to be able to have them trust that what I'm telling them, you know, it's like, we have the same goals. We want your child to be successful. We want your child to grow. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and we can disagree. Here's here's my thought on this. If you tell me something and I disagree, I have no problem disagreeing with you. You know, my delivery just needs to be such that you understand that we all have the best interest um, of your child in mind. Um, and so what you say, how you say it, it's very important establishing that communication early on so that they know they know you mm-hmm. um is is really important so yeah yeah i don't know i just i i, I just talked talk to whoever whatever the problem is it's like all right let's figure this out yeah there's nothing you can't work out yeah and it I mean, might take a little while yeah. and we might need to Trial get some more error. people involved and you know and and that's the good thing about this school is like I do have an excellent relationship with our principal. I think Patrick Miner is like mm-hmm. an amazing. I hope he stays at Willamette forever. He's pretty freaking awesome. I'm gonna stay there for as long as he's there, mm-hmm. um, and I hope that he stays there for until I retire. Like, yeah, he. I just think the world of him. I think he's awesome, and so, um, you know, I I feel comfortable going to him if I need advice. But I also know that there are just if I need help from. I have so many people that I can go to for help mm-hmm. and people come, we go to each other. Teachers go to each other all the time at this school and say like, Hey, I'm going this, I got this situation going on, you know, obviously respecting all the confidentiality rules that we have in there. Um, but being able to say, I have this situation with this child or this parent, what would you do in this situation? And to be able to collaborate like that has been is really helpful so yeah there's just there's so much support it's like as long as you're willing to work through the problem whatever it is it's like you can make it happen so yeah so in wrapping all this up in, in a really big giant awesome package it just see the the philosophy in the classroom the philosophy um in in the school and your philosophy like everything and even the way you are at home it's all goes together it's mm-hmm. just your life like it's who you are and it's it shows you're you're honoring you're honoring you're honoring yourself and and that environment is all the same like it's all you're not making anything up you're being truly genuine and and who you are and your philosophy it's represents in the classroom the community and the and the school has that same you know continuity or whatever that word is and (laughs) you go back to fourth grade to learn it um just like yeah it's just i just love seeing consistency and belief and 
um, it, because it's natural and it's genuine. Mm-hmm. And I think that really shows. I think that's what a lot of people really do love about the school too. It's just the genuine, the genuineness. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we have to practice what we preach. Yeah. You know? The practice what you preach. It shows, I mean, you can't fake an environment like that. Yeah. You can't. It's just, it's just people sense things and it's like, you, you just can't fake it. And I think that's right. really the big pull of the school being great you know yeah well that's what i told i you know i have a student teacher this year kevin or uh kyle i always call him kevin like yeah (laughs) yeah he's a cool kid yeah kyle's awesome and so you know but i tell him like you have to be you have to find your voice and be yourself you have to be real because if you're not like the kids will they They sense that they know that so easily like they have instincts for that sort of stuff and if they know that you're not being real like they're gonna eat you alive right so you know find your voice right and and be Stay true stern. To your, be true to yourself but yeah be that warm demander mm-hmm. um that they can trust but hold them accountable you know yeah. um you know because yeah if you're not genuine they know it right they right. know it right away too because they'll i mean yeah they just they just don't respect they don't right. re- they don't you have to earn their respect i mean mm-hmm. that's why subs like if you have a substitute come in you know, they don't, kids don't act, not all the kids act the same when a sub comes in. Yeah. Or even when a student teacher comes, I mean, I dealt with it when I was a student teacher. Yeah. It's like, they're like, all right, who are you, Mr. Bombach? Like, yeah. Earn my respect. Yeah. What, what gives you the right to come in this class and yeah. teach us? Yeah. yeah. So it's like, you have to really earn their respect. And yeah. it's like, all right, that's fine. Like, I will, I'll yeah. get to know you a little bit. And yeah. But yeah. Well, mm-hmm. whatever you're doing. And we all know what it is now. It's working for you. And we appreciate it. Thank you. And um, Mr. Bombach, Kevin, um, thank you for coming to my house and just opening yourself up to us. And especially Ruthie just clearly adores you. And um, I, a lot of people do. I can't, I can't, we can't all have, we can't just totally have you to all to ourselves. There are plenty of people <laughs> that love and adore you and just thank you for um giving us your your um ideas and philosophies and sitting down with me and all that kind of stuff um on this topic of life hey it was my pleasure thank you yes i'll see you again okay soon very soon